This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the morning break with Graham Stanley. It's Tuesday, the third of May. Today, I'll be talking to Vicky Saumel about educational technology and how she became a teacher and her work as a teacher trainer, materials writer, educational consultant, teacher association coordinator, and English language teaching in Argentina in general. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to the morning break, everyone. As I said in the introduction, my special guest today is Argentinian educator Vicky Saumel about her, and I'll be talking about her experience of using educational technology and her work as a teacher, teacher educator, materials developer, teacher association coordinator and consultant in Buenos Aires in Argentina. If you're listening in live, why not come and join us? To do so, please download the Podbean app onto your mobile. Visit ttradio.org and click on the Listen Live button on the homepage. This should take you directly into the show. And there you can post comments and ask questions during the conversation, etc. Now, I will be back with Vicky right after the Teacher Talk radio news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.weatherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Introducing Bulb. With evidence-based learning at the forefront of education, let Bulb digital portfolios help reshape your educational practice. Bulb helps teachers teach and learners learn. Bulb is an easy-to-use, fully accessible digital platform that captures students' digital learning assets in one place, allowing them to evidence their learning and reflect on their growth. Our dedicated team of education specialists are on hand to ensure the bulb fits seamlessly into all of your teaching practices. Come take a look and get a free account at bulbapp.com. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common. 
a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. Michael Fabricant, a Conservative MP for Staffordshire, who suggested teachers enjoyed a quiet drink in the staff room during COVID lockdown, during a BBC interview, has apologised. The Litchfield MP has written a response to the National Association of Head Teachers to explain that it had not been his intention to cause offence or demoralise anyone. Paul Whiteman, General Secretary of the NAHT, said the MP's words were wholly inaccurate and deeply insulting. In his letter, Mr Fabricant states, I thought it might be helpful if I make it clear that it was not my intention to cause offence, let alone demoralise anyone, as some have suggested, and I apologise if I have genuinely done so. I applaud the work of nurses, GPs, and others in the medical and teaching profession who worked long hours under difficult and sometimes impossible conditions during the height of the COVID pandemic to keep us all safe and to educate our children. We all have a debt to them which will be difficult to repay. In a lengthy and wide-ranging interview with BBC Television News, I explained that I was neither judging nor chastising the minority of nurses or teachers who chose to unwind with a few work colleagues after a long shift. Nor did I suggest they were drunk. I know none who were so. In England, the Education Secretary, Nadim Sahawi, launched his Education Sustainability Vision at the Natural History Museum on Thursday evening last week. £11,480 was paid to Taste Studios to provide the food, working out at £48 per head. A spokesperson said, The launch brought together individuals and organisations who can help us implement our strategy in order to galvanise support from them, whether through funding resources, driving public support and awareness, or encouraging youth engagement. The government said that it had to use a caterer from the museum's list of accredited suppliers. Staff were asked not to eat or drink at the event, as they were there for work and not as invitees. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, last week I told you about security certificates and how the padlock is not a symbol of a website being secure, but the transmission being encrypted. This week we go a step further and ask how do criminals use this against us? They use something called a subdomain. Just as the prefix sub means below or under, the subdomain is a key to this scam, and it can look legitimate to the untrained eye. Subdomains are a way to divide a website into more manageable chunks. For example, for TT Radio, a subdomain could be named Listen. This would read www.listen.ttradio.org. This could be pointed at somewhere other than the main website, for example, Podbean, and allow simple redirection for the user of the website. The issue we face is cyber criminals understand subdomain system and exploit it. So if I were to buy a domain called bank.com and create a subdomain for all popular banks in the UK or even the world, and obviously buy a security certificate, I could create copies of bank's web pages in each subdomain and the address would read, for example, HTTPS, oh, it's secure, www.halifax.bank.com. The difference being you're now going to a subsection of my website, bank.com, which happens to be named after a bank. I now start a campaign of emails and texts with a warning to as many people as I possibly can. To make you panic and click without thinking too much, I also add a bit of time pressure into the mix. How does this sound? Halifax alert, you've just paid Steve Woods £500. If this transaction was not organised by you, you have five minutes to log in and cancel. I'm even kind enough to give you the link https www.halifax.bank.com. From there, I collect your login details and empty your bank. Clever, isn't it? How do we stop this? Always contact your bank directly, not through a link that is sent to you. If unsure, stop and think. As always, don't forget to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, Vicky. Thank you very much for agreeing to talk to me today. I'd love to start by just uh, if you could give uh, an introduction to yourself and what you do. Hi, Graham. How are you? It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, oh, an introduction about me. Well, um, you know, the funny thing is I originally when I finished secondary school, I didn't think I wanted to be a teacher of English. Um, funny enough, I went into PE and PE. I became a physical education teacher. Wow, I didn't um, know that. <laughs> um, and while I was studying that, I was offered the possibility of giving classes in the same place where I had been studying English. Mm-hmm. And so they say, would you take the junior ones, the little ones? And so in order to, to have a little money for myself, I started giving English classes. And uh, that really turned into a love of teaching English. Um, so I never stopped doing that. Uh, I did go on to become a physical education teacher and I did go on to study translation studies, English, Spanish translation studies after that. Um, and I kept on teaching the whole time. Um, and then I had both jobs, right? I was PE teacher some days and I was an English teacher other days. I've suddenly uh, I've suddenly made the connection, Vicky, because I've seen that you you do things like gymnastics, and yeah. now I understand uh, why you you would want to be a PE teacher. So exactly, it was it a love of of English teaching that led you to change your direction then from PE, or 
was it, is it just something that you decided you prefer um, eventually my love of pe was a love of gymnastics as you said mm -hmm. uh not of pe in general i found later uh and so all my jobs uh were related to gymnastics i i, I also became a gymnastics coach uh, <laughs> along the way um so but then gradually you know the balance uh, i i started having more work as an english teacher than a gymnastics coach and uh little by little you know p is lovely but but you know it's body work all the time <laughs> yeah physically <laughs> exhausting physically exhausting and so little by little i started dropping you know pe and gymnastics and i became a full-time english teacher so where, um, where were you teaching at that point did you teach in the school where you'd studied for long no i i started teaching in a private language school where i had right. studied all yeah. along uh then i changed to another private language institute and then uh about eight years later uh i applied for a job in a regular secondary school in an official okay. secondary yeah. school uh i had already become um um i was studying translation studies so um that allowed me to to teach in an official school um and so i started my my journey in regular schools and uh teaching secondary primary and I, I still teach in that school. I started in 1993 Great. and I still teach there. So wonderful. it's been a long One, way. And what, what um, in general terms, what are the big differences between teaching in a state school like that um, and a language academy, would you say, in Argentina? Um, well, official schools, whether state or private, um, they will require a degree a certain type of degree yeah. um, which has to be teacher training uh, college for for teachers. Yeah. Uh, alternatively, as in my case, you can have a degree that is related to language and then another degree that is related to teaching, which is what I have, the yeah. translation studies in English and the PE teacher degree. Okay. And so that complements each other and I'm allowed to teach. Which is a bit funny because you know the PE didactics is <laughs> not it's very, very different. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I then went on to do a TESOL, uh, a TESOL, a diploma in TESOL. Yeah. Um, so, so well, I, I made sure I I knew what I was doing. Um, but essentially, it's the kind of degree you need to be able to teach in an official school. In the in the official system um however as there is a shortage of teachers um if you have only a language related degree uh you may be allowed to teach okay I and mean, that's the big thing isn't it in the in the americas as a, as a whole and in lots of other parts of the world yeah you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to teachers. teach with a celta yeah or a delta for example Right. That's, that's a big difference that. in Argentina. Yeah. That's why Celt and Delta in Argentina are not a huge thing. Right. It's only for people who want to do something internationally or. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Interesting. What about the actual teaching in a state school, for example, teaching the English in a state school? Could you 
take us through what well, kind of groups you have, how big they are, and what kind of level of English you teach, well, et cetera. You have uh, state schools and private schools within the official system. State yeah. schools have huge numbers, usually uh, 25 upwards, um, and, um, and fewer hours of English per week. Right. And as there is a shortage of teachers, usually, well, you know, sometimes the, the quality of teachers tends to go down. Private schools within the official system try to make sure to tempt better teachers, I guess. Uh, so it's still the same requirements instead of in, in, in terms of degrees, but more people tend to go to, to a private school, to teach in a private school. Right. Uh, in a private school where I work, I still have big groups. And, and, and many years ago, I used to have a group of 45 students. So wow. That's crazy. That's a lot, yeah. um, these days, we have groups around between 20 and 30. Right. The most I've ever taught, I've, I taught in a, um, a university and sort of vocational school. I taught classes of uh, students learning tourism and catering. And there were like yeah. 35 to 40. And it's it's a lot yeah. to handle in a, in a one class. I remember <laughs> even, you know, I was new in that school. I was I had just started. Um, and so they say, well, this is your 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 class this year. And when I went in, I, <laughs> I saw how many students there was there were there. I panicked, you know, it was like, my goodness, yeah. those years can't have been good to those students. <laughs> <laughs> No, of course not. So what else about teaching English in Argentina do you think is is specific to the country? You've talked about the qualifications required that are different to, in a lot of, uh, to a lot of other countries. What would you say makes English language teaching in Argentina a bit unique or at least specific to the I would country? say that almost everybody thinks it's really important. And so nobody will argue why, why our are we teaching English to, to mm -hmm. students any age? And in fact, most schools start in kindergarten uh, from three, four-year-olds. So at least you have the supportive society in terms of, okay, it's something everybody wants their, their kids to know. And, uh, and of course, things have changed in the sense that methodologies have changed. And, and so, I think these days uh, we're more focused on communication and uh, less focused on 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 grammar, if you want. Yeah. Um, but still, you have schools that are exam focused. Uh, so there's a lot of exam practice and 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 mocks. <laughs> and um, but but you can choose. You know, you have bilingual schools, but you also have uh, schools that have intensive English, but they are not bilingual. Um, and they That's... they have different folk, a different focus. Uh, then you have state schools who have um, now a lot of English, much more English than some years ago. Uh, I mean, the whole curriculum has has changed and has has improved. That's, um, that's really interesting. Could you talk a little bit more about the bilingual schools? What what does that entail? Um, is it the that this all of the subjects are taught in English, or some of them, or 
Yeah, uh, bilingual schools are, of course, the whole whole day. Uh, usually, most schools have a Spanish in the morning and English in the afternoons. Right. And English is organized around subjects in English. And usually, they focus on IGCSEs and, and, and or IBs. So these and are so that they these are secondary schools. These are secondary schools. Yeah. Uh, and so that's one thing. And then you have other schools that also have morning in Spanish and English in the afternoon. But in the afternoon, they don't have subjects like that. What they have is intensive English. Right. So usually they do Cambridge exams. So okay. they do PET and PET in primary. Then they do first, advanced, etc., and or other exams. But they are more focused on language exams and not uh, like the IGCSEs one with our general education. Okay. And would you say, from what I know, the life of a, an English teacher in certainly in Buenos Aires and probably in the rest of Argentina as well, it's quite a busy one. It's like most English teachers would have several jobs. They yeah. work in several yeah. schools, etc. That's a typical yeah. profile. Is that right? Yeah. The best scenario is if you are a, class teacher for example in primary and you are a primary teacher in a bilingual school you will yeah. have every day in the same school uh and you may have one school in the morning and one school in the afternoon if you're lucky for most teachers it's two three four schools <laughs> uh, jumping around and traveling you know we are called taxi teachers taxi teachers yeah I've going the, from one place that. to another that must make yeah. it really difficult for a lot of teachers, I think. It is because each school has their own, you know, uh, institutional culture, um, yeah. uh, regulations. And so you need to you need to learn how to please <laughs> each school. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and uh, it's really hard. Yes. Yeah. So going back to your own personal experience, I know that you are very interested in technology. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit about how you became involved in that and what, what kind of things you're really interested in when it comes to educational technology? Well, uh, I think it started because um, my husband uh, uh, was always into, into computers. He was a computer technician, a programmer. So there was always a computer at home. Uh, so naturally I was, you know, having contact with technology and uh, little by little, um, I was more and more interested. And then uh, what changed my perspective completely was doing one of the Evo sessions for becoming a webhead, which you know, we very well and know. Of. Just, just for the benefit of everybody, Evo stands for Electronic Village Online, doesn't it? And that's a TESOL yes. um, initiative. It's a TESOL venture where they have held six-week courses in January and February every year. These courses are free. They are on a variety of topics, so you can choose. Um, really, they are all very interesting. And they are moderated by a group of professionals. And um, and so the one I did was called Becoming a Webhead. Um, and it was all about learning about educational technologies used for language learning. And that's where I met a bunch of people that have now become my friends. 
And that's how I got really interested in the combination of learning technologies and English. And that's where my love started. And, um, and then my, my curious disposition. <laughs> uh, well, I went on learning on my own and trying things out and, and looking for connections to, to, to make language learning more effective using technology. Yeah. I remember the, the web heads was, I think it's probably in that EVO initiative. I think it was one of the first sort of programs or places where anyone, if you were an English teacher interested in technology, that was where you ended up. It's the yep. first sort of online initiative for learning about learning together about technology. It's certainly where I ended up as well. Yeah. And, and it became a huge community of practice uh, yeah. because as it was online, there were people really from all around the world and uh, we became quite close and, and, and connected with each other. And we ended up meeting whenever one of us traveled somewhere, there was a webhead to meet. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we are quite a, a, a big community these days. Yeah, it's amazing just how active and how how friendly it is, I think, that community of practice uh, with people. It's funny, you say, I'm a webhead. Oh, I'm a webhead too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. I love it. At, what, at some point in the future, I definitely want to dedicate a whole program to the webheads because I think it's something that needs to be, uh, that needs be, to be made. I, I'm sure Vance would, would love that too. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, Vicky, what you, you talked about how you got interested in technology, and I know that you've developed that interest quite a lot. What, what is it at the moment you're particularly interested in when it comes to technology in the classroom? I have always been interested in the student side. That is, how yeah. can we put technology into the hands of students to improve their learning? Of course, I myself use a lot of technology when I teach, but I'm not so worried about developing super tech expertise in teachers. I think that technology belongs in the hands of students and, and when you allow them and when you guide them to, to use technology uh, in certain ways, you, one thing is that they are really, they are engaged. I don't think that's the ultimate purpose of, of providing technology, but I think it helps. So when they are engaged, they tend to, to be more committed to their work. And of course, I, I think it goes without saying that the possibility of recording voice and videos has completely changed the landscape. Oh. These are things that when I was learning English was impossible. So having a phone where you can record, listen to yourself, then, then do certain things or record videos or whatever, I think that has been life-changing for language learners. Yeah, definitely. I think this not only the uh, the opportunity to record learners, but for them to listen back, isn't it, to themselves speaking. If you're able to record learners and you know with video or audio and to share, even if it's just um, between classes or with parents, etc. I think it's a very yeah. empowering experience, isn't it? Well, I have I have been uh, quite an advocate for for creating real audiences for our learners work, because I think that when the teacher is the only audience, then uh, it's quite demotivating. I mean, it's like, well, OK, 
whatever. <laughs> you might have a few students who still feel motivated by that. But in general, yeah. when you open it up and you say, okay, we're going to post this in the school website or whatever, and somebody else is going to look at it or listen to it or engage with it, um, things change dramatically and yeah. students are uh, become very much more uh, engaged and, and, and committed to the quality of the work. Yeah, I mean... I completely agree. If it's just the teacher who's listening or reading to students' work, then it's very artificial. Um, yeah. Whereas if it's if it's other students or if it's a, a wider audience, I think it becomes a more sort of motivating thing for the students, definitely. So, and another thing I know that you're very interested in is English teacher associations, and you have uh, <laughs> done a lot of work with um, one organization in particular, IATEFL. Can you talk about how you became involved and interested in English teacher associations and what you think the benefits are of belonging to one? Well, I I got to know about IATEFL back in 20, I don't know, 2009 or something like that. And somebody told me about the scholarships that they, they put out every year uh, to be able to either attend or present at IATEFL. So I applied for the Latin American scholarship, which is quite a generous one. So anybody in Latin America listening, <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. apply. <laughs> um, so the Latin American scholarship allows you to attend the conference. You don't need to present, but just attend the conference on most. Uh, you need uh, to be a member. Of most expenses paid. Is that right? You need to and be a member. You need to be a member. Yes. So first join join IATFL you join IATFL then you apply and so of course you know you say okay well I'm not going to win who's I mean nobody wins or just one what are the odds uh and then I got an email saying you won the Latin American <laughs> scholarship um so I was delighted so that was 2010 Harrogate so there I went uh, barely knew anyone, literally face to face. I had never met anybody who was going to be there at the conference, except for some web heads. Of course, <laughs> ready-made friends at the conference, yes. basically. Uh, I'd met Nick Peachy and, and Gavin uh, here in, in Buenos Aires <clears throat> the year before. So those were my only two like faces I could, you know, people I could hope to see. Uh, but then there was the explosion of Twitter too. So there was a, a, a quite a big community on Twitter those days. Yeah. And uh, that was one of the first conferences where we did the tweet ups. Like we started meeting people we were connected on Twitter face to face. And it was quite funny because uh, though we had never met before, I remember uh, finding out whatever I, I had just arrived in Harrogate. And I, I tweeted, okay, who's here? Who has arrived? Where are you? And um, Ken Wilson said, we are at this pub. Uh, would you like to come? And so I, of course, I got ready, went there. It was just down the blocks. It was very close. And, um, and so I go in. And Ken stands up and looks at me and says, oh, Vicky Saumel, like he knew me from, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was very funny. And the, there was a whole table, like eight of us and, and uh, people from Turkey, you know, there was Burchu and it was 
amazing. And so what I thought was going to be quite a lonely conference because I thought I didn't know anybody, it ended up being quite a joyful experience. So apart from the professional amazement of such a big conference, uh, there was meeting people and socializing. It was actually wonderful. So yeah. one, of the, one, of the things, one of the things that I found amazing about that is I, I also, um, I'd been to our IATEFL conference before, but when Twitter sort of appeared on the scene, it was suddenly this um, subculture. And I remember, I remember walking into a, a pub for a tweet up, and I brought with me uh, a friend and colleague of mine, Paul Braddocks. And I walked into the pub, and you know, Paul was amazed by the re kind of reaction, and it's like, do you know all these people? Do you know these people? I was like, well, I've met them on Twitter. And he was like, I need to start what? using Twitter. Yes. <laughs> it's like suddenly having that connection with people because you, you know, that's a lot gets said about, I think, things like Twitter, about the negative things about Twitter. I think recently in particular, uh, since the purchase by Elon Musk. Yeah. But um, Twitter is an amazing tool uh, for yeah, connecting for the teaching with people. community. For us, it has it's been incredible. amazing. It's incredible. Yes. It, it's a really positive yes. experience to be in touch with people through Twitter and other social media. Um, you know, if, I think the thing about Twitter is is that it also is very different. Facebook seems like a bit more sort of a closed closed rooms, yeah, yeah. whereas Twitter is very open. It's like yes, uh, more democratic if you want. <laughs> yeah, and very sort of you know that whole idea of a hashtag, uh, so you can follow and find out about yes. people using hashtags yes. is so yes. wonderful anyway yes i mean the reach and the reach you. of twitter you never know you never know who knows you it's really funny yeah. because i i mean i of course when i started and then i started going to isfl every year and i became involved with with ltsig of course um, the ltsig being being the learning, learning technologies, technologies special interest special interest group, group. and um, since of course i was attracted to learning technologies um i started talking to people in the committee and then i became part of the committee as as a community manager in the beginning back and now in you're 2013, coordinator. i think it was now i am coordinator and how yeah how is i mean how has that been what kind of responsibilities does a coordinator have for example well you know i started as community manager then i was the treasurer uh being the treasurer gave me quite an understanding of how things worked really yeah. um because i had to be kind of on top of everything um then um <clears throat> when sean decided sean wilden decided he was leaving there was sophia and me who could possibly become coordinators and as i lived so far away you know i'm in argentina i felt like i was not going to be able to do the job well. I thought somebody mm. who lived closer uh, would be better. And so Sophia took over as coordinator. And uh, a few years after that, we became joint coordinators, Sophia and I, so that I would uh, learn the job yeah. and uh, eventually uh, be left on my own as I am now. Um, because really, there are lots of things to be done. You have to basically very, connect with people organize events well everything yeah. 
it's a very rewarding experience being part of a committee of a special interest group, isn't it? It is. It is. I learned so much. It's like, I don't know. I felt like I learned so, so much from everybody that it was my turn to give something back as a volunteer. Wonderful. You're coming to the end of your term as coordinator as well. How oh, are you going I to am... fill in your time? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I think of something. <laughs> yes, definitely. So Vicky, we've talked about your uh, role as a teacher, your role as, uh, with a special interest group, your interest in technology, but you're also involved in teacher training as well, aren't you? Yeah, um, I've done my share of writing materials and, and mm -hmm. uh, teacher training and developing, yes, materials. So so how, how has that been? How did you get involved in developing writing materials for teachers or for the classroom, etc.? I think I, I, I had a bit of luck, like everything, you know, like being in the right place at the right time. I had written um, a course for preparation for the TKT, the teaching knowledge test yeah. with a colleague here in Argentina with Susan Hilliard. We wrote this material uh, for an Argentinian company. I mean, we wrote it and then we offered it to this company and we said, would you like to to have it uh, to be delivered online. That was our idea to have an online course on, on preparing for the TKT. And uh, eventually that manuscript for that course ended up in Pearson's hands and Pearson decided to go for it and, and turn it into an online professional development course. And that that's how I got into, into a big publisher for the first time. And then after that, I don't know. I always want to think that rather than talking about yourself, it's your work that talks about you. Yeah. And so somehow I got on the radar of some other people and I started getting offered <laughs> uh, jobs. Yeah. Fantastic. And you also, you self-published a book as well, didn't you? Which I think is, is great. That's something I think is, is op a lot more easy to do and a lot more open to teachers who, who want to share ideas with other teachers etc it's a it's an avenue that is is sort of in recent years has opened up and is um a very good thing to do isn't it do you, do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into deciding to yeah do that? well i i had written lots and lots of separate independent articles about teaching english on a variety of topics many about learning technologies but others about other aspects of teaching. Um, I was at the time writing for the Teaching English website, British Council, like two or three articles every year. And so I, I had a, a, a pile of articles that were all scattered around the, the, the internet or, or behind paid walls or whatever. And so I thought it, uh, it would be a good idea to put all those articles together, organize them in some logical way and and create uh, an ebook and so i was not quite sure how to do it so i decided to take a self-publishing course with dorothy c mac and uh, so my manuscript was somehow done but i needed to turn that into an ebook and publish it which is the part i didn't know how to do uh so doing that course i learned how to do it i published my first ebook which is a collection of of articles about the ELT profession. 
it's not that difficult. Of course, you need some guidance and whether your ebook is a success or not, it depends, of course, on the topic and so many different things. But I think it's an avenue worth exploring that and also creating digital materials, which is what I'm doing that now too. Uh, not just ebooks, but uh, digital materials that can be sold online. Yeah, digital Great. publishing. Of course. So if, any, if there are any teachers out there listening who are interested in doing the same thing, um, publishing digital materials or, or publishing um, an ebook like you did, what are the things you would recommend they do or they don't do? First, you need to understand the difference between, a, between print and an ebook. And although many print books can be turned into ebooks, ebooks offer or have a different potential uh, because they can be interactive and they can be hyperlinked. And uh, so, so you need to make sure that your content uh, can work as an ebook. For example, a book which is only, I know, for example, a book about games for the classroom. Yeah. It's a lovely book. It's this thick, but all the pages are images. Right. And images are very heavy in an ebook. So it's very difficult to turn that book into an ebook, for example. Right. So although images are fine, if it's only images, maybe the it's not the best thing. I so, suppose I suppose you could link to images on the web in an ebook. Well, that might be the best way of doing it. Well, yeah, maybe have a little screenshot uh, with it's not very good quality because that's the thing. You can have lots of images of that are not so heavy uh, mm. and then link to link to the actual work. Yes, definitely. So there's always a way out, I guess. And um, it doesn't hurt to try, I think. Of course. Okay. And what are the teacher training are you doing because i think you you have your own is it am i right in thinking you have your own consultancy and do courses online for teachers i do i i joined efforts with a colleague called silvana simonetti so we are saumel simonetti educational consultancy mm -hmm. and uh we offer uh well consultancy to institutions related to um to english language teaching particularly project-based learning, digital storytelling, storytelling. We also have some online courses that are self-paced, so you, they are not uh, tutored. And uh, we are now producing uh, digital materials also. So, yeah. Wonderful. And to go back to IATEFL, I've just remembered, there is about to occur is the um conference the annual conference although it wasn't so much annual during the pandemic but it's back to being an annual conference in belfast and um you are very much involved in that if there's anyone listening who might who might want to tempt to to go to belfast for this conference and to participate in in it and in the events that you are um, involved in running through the learning technologies special interest group could you outline a little bit about what what yeah, you're involved well, whether in whether you whether you whether you love learning technologies or not i mean iatefl has 16 different special interest groups so there's yeah. something for you for sure 
Uh, and IATFL is such a big conference. It's so well organized and people are so friendly that I, I really fell in love with it. And that's why I, I'm still there. So if you have the chance to go to Belfast, which I'm told, as I have never been before, is a wonderful city. It is, it is. <laughs> Please come. Of course, I would love you to come to our events. We have our pre-conference event on Monday, 16 May, on hybrid teaching and learning. And then the full conference starts on Tuesday, from Tuesday to Friday. But there are so many things going on. I mean, it's not just a conference, you know, after the conference, there's a social program, uh, Pecha Kuchi Night, a music night, and the international quiz, and a chance to meet people from all over the world and become even more connected. So if you have the chance to go, I can tell you it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. Uh, IATFL conferences are can be very addictive, so be prepared if you do go. Yes. And uh, the um, the pre-conference event you you say is on hybrid teaching. That sounds like it's it's a really interesting subject that that will be really very useful for a lot of teachers because I think even though the pandemic we all hope is coming to an end, there is still a lot of teachers who um, have to teach in a hybrid way. Or even if teachers aren't involved in hybrid teaching, I think it's something that um, we need to know about in case hope it happens again. Hopefully it won't, but in case it happens again, we need to be prepared, better prepared for it to be able to switch to doing this, don't we? You yeah, talk a little bit about a... who's speaking there or what, what kind of yeah. subjects you're going to be well, dealing with. First of all, last year we had to choose the topic before we even chose the speakers. You know, it was yeah. like, okay, what shall we do? You know, as soon as the previous year PCE happens, you already start thinking about the next year's PCE and the topic because you have to send your topic quite early to the IATFL organization. So we started voting on topics and and, and we, we thought hybrid teaching and learning was a really useful one, uh, exactly because of the reasons you mentioned, because uh, we had all been through having to use hybrid at some point and we thought it was a good way of uh, coming back together and looking at it in a critical way people may think that because we are learning technologies sig we are endorsing uh hybrid teaching and learning as <laughs> as the solution to everything and i want to assure that we aren't or, or at least that's not our intention with this PCE, the intention is to look at it critically and say, okay, this is where we are. This have been some experiences. What appears to be the best way of doing it if we have to do it? Yeah. Yeah. So speakers, we have three plenary speakers. We have Professor David Barr from the University of Ulster in Belfast, and he is going to be giving a very general look at uh, hybrid teaching and learning. Then we have uh, Gary Motoram from the University of Manchester. And then we have David Red from the University of Sheffield, who is going to be uh, connecting hybrid teaching with, with VR, with virtual reality. Wow. So we're going to be looking at that. And then in the afternoon, we have four professionals who have sent a call for proposals and they have been chosen to share their own experiences doing hybrid teaching during the pandemic uh, in different parts of the world. 
so we were hoping to have like experts in the morning and uh, a more practical approach in the afternoon and be able to round that up at the end of the day. That sounds fascinating. Uh, really, really wonderful. So um, I hope some of the people who are listening today um, will be interested and they can attend. Uh, it's really a wonderful place uh, to go to Belfast. Um, I hope, Vicky, that when you're there, you'll have the opportunity either before or after to visit Giants Causeway. I am Saturday after the conference. Perfect. I'm booking a tour. Yes. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's a fascinating place. It's it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, you can spend yeah. a lot of time there. I'm just so. trying to find people who want to do it with me. So far, I think Phil Longwell is coming along. Anybody Great. else who's going to be there and wants to go on tour with me on Giants Causeway? <laughs> Let yes. Me know. So if you're interested <laughs> in, in going to the IETEFL conference or if you're already going and would like to visit Giants Causeway with Vicky, please let her know. Uh, Vicky, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been fascinating to catch up with you and, and talk about all the things that you're doing and and just knowing a bit more about your uh, trajectory and uh, and about English language teaching and learning in Argentina as well. So thank you very much. Oh, my that. pleasure. And there's Be always something new, you know, it's like of course. We, we think we know about each other and there's always something <laughs> Else. <laughs> definitely before before we wind up is there anything else that you would like to sort of that we haven't touched upon that you think would be interesting for listeners to know no i don't think so uh other than i'm going to plug in my website where you can see all my work and there are lots of free stuff there and then if you're interested in what i do you can contact me it's very difficult it's vickysaumel.com <laughs> perfect um, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes as well on the recording so if you are listening to the recording of that then you can find a link to vicky's website on there thank you very much vicky thanks a lot no thank you it was lovely lovely chat Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. So talking to Vicky, thank you very much, Vicky. Reminded me of the times that I've been able to visit Argentina. Uh, I've had the pleasure of visiting the fascinating city of Buenos Aires, as well as Córdoba, and also the wine-producing region and city of Mendoza beautiful country and home to some of the most spectacular landscapes I've ever had the pleasure to see. I remember visiting the incredible waterfalls of Iguazu in Misiones in the north, which is, I think, the largest waterfall system in the world. And Iguazu is on the border between Argentina and Brazil. And I recall you can sit in a restaurant on the river on the Iguazu River in Argentina, with a view to both Brazil and Paraguay, which is, uh, is quite special. Argentina is also the home to what has to be, for me, the most beautiful landscape I've ever had the opportunity to visit in the south of the country, Patagonia. And that's at the very southern end of South America, and it's governed by Argentina and Chile. The size, the sheer size of Patagonia and the variety of geography of the area is, is amazing. We flew to Bariloche in the north of Patagonia and then took a coach south to visit the glacier Perito Moreno. And visiting San Carlos de Bariloche was a bit 
like being in a place that, that seemed like a cross between a town in Switzerland and the Lake District in the UK. It, the landscape reminded me of the Lake District in the northwest of England, but the lakes are about four times bigger than there and the snowy mountains three times higher or, or, or more. The town's architecture as well has buildings that remind you of, of, of Switzerland, of Swiss architecture, and they make and sell delicious chocolate too. So it's a very, uh, it's a very peculiar place, highly recommended. And then I also recall the drive to the city of Calafate, where Perito Moreno, the glacier, is took, I don't know, something like 36 hours or, or longer uh, by coach and driving through a very desolate desert landscape, just one road with uh, desert and mountains either side of it. The view doesn't change much at all. So I don't particularly recommend doing that. Uh, we were very excited to to go on that trip, but uh you know, after hours and hours of seeing the same thing from the uh, the coach, we thought, oh, we should have flew. But uh, it was quite an experience. And then once we reached Perito Moreno, though, everything changed and we plunged into this marvellous geography of snow and ice. And the Perito Moreno Glacier is one of the most important, I think, one of the most important tourist attractions in the area. And because of its size and shape, it's it's one of the most spectacular glaciers in the world to visit. I think, truly incredible. You can uh, you can walk on it. You can take a, a boat around it. Um, the ice cracking. If you're very lucky, I think once a year it, there's a rupture of the glacier and uh, and the ice actually falls into the water. But uh, that only happens, I think, once once a year. Um, so apart from tourism, I've had opportunities to visit Argentina professionally and the country has an ELT sector that is very well developed with uh, incredible expertise. I've spoken for example at conferences run by FAPI, the Argentine Association of English Teachers and this conference is held in a different city every year and it's a wonderful event. Uh, and all also um, has so many different uh, wonderful professionals um, expertise as I said before of the educators is is quite impressive this Sabal English project I worked on which is all about the teaching of English remotely to Uruguayan primary schools makes use of this expertise of Argentinian teachers the project is designed to provide English teachers for schools in Uruguay because there's a shortage of teachers, of skilled and qualified teachers in the country. Now, most of the English teachers are actually brought in remotely from Argentina, principally Buenos Aires and, and Córdoba. And the British Council actually has a purpose-built remote teaching centre in Buenos Aires that serves the project and employs a lot of these teachers. One of the one of the topics I talked to Vicky with was her work in IATEFL, uh, which is one of the largest international associations of English teachers globally. The other one being TESOL, TESOL, based in the US. And I really have um, a lot of time and uh, I'd like to encourage people to, to join a teacher association. I think 
it's difficult these days with so much being available for teachers through the internet for professional development. Uh, prior to that offer of professional development, which you can find um, all over the place and catering to you, I think teaching associations were very, very strong and being and were, were one of the few places that you would actually be able to find this type of professional development. Now it's a lot easier. But I still think joining a teacher association has so many different benefits. And unless you've tried it, I don't think you appreciate just how much uh, how much it is important and useful for uh, for teachers to join this type of association. It can help you in all sorts of different ways. Uh, I think one of the the best ways is definitely through uh, meeting up through annual conference and other events. Vicky talked about this uh, pre-conference event, which was like a specialised day focusing on hybrid teaching. Um, that is happening in Belfast. Things like that are really good. There's also newsletters and keeping in touch through social media, etc. And some of the um, the the some of the most important friendships and prof professional friendships that I've made has been thanks to uh, IATEFL and other teacher associations like that. So I definitely recommend that. I think it's also one of the best ways as a teacher that you can broaden your horizons as well as connecting in a meaningful way with other teachers and sharing ideas and knowledge. Um, and then finally, I think it was really interest. I was really interested in hearing how Vicky got involved in writing materials and the element of luck involved in that, which is quite interesting because I know it is something that a lot of teachers feel that it's something they want to become involved in um, to complement the teaching that you might do. My own journey into writing um, for English language teaching has also involved an element of luck. Uh, it was with a um, who someone who turned out to be my co-writer. We started experimenting with activities with learners and then realized we had something of interest to a wider audience through the reaction of the colleagues at the school where we worked at. And then through a connection that he had, um, a friend of his, uh, of my co-writer, who was a writer of course books and editor of a series of methodology books for teachers, well, we're able to persuade him the idea of the book was very interesting. And that gave us the opening to pitch our ideas to the publishers, and they actually commissioned it. That, for me, was the start uh, of, of a lot more writing. Um, and after that book was published, uh, and, you know, wonderfully... Um, much to our surprise, it won a prize. I was approached by a, diff a different editor from a different publishing company and asked to write a different handbook for teachers, which um, is something I really enjoyed as well. So these kinds of things, I think, um, come out of the connections that you make with people, obviously, with, with teachers. And teaching associations, for example, I think can definitely help that. So we're coming to the close of today's show. And the focus on a particular country at Argentina today is something I'd like to do more of. Um, if you're listening and would like to come on the show to talk about English language teaching in your own country, or indeed schools, teaching, education in general, doesn't have to be about English language teaching, then I'd love to hear from you. And one of the best ways of getting in touch is through Twitter. If you want to look me up, I'm at ELT Graham. Sharing information, I think, um, 
uh, such as we do on Teachers Talk Radio, ideas, telling people about things and knowing about educational contexts in different parts of the world and different sectors, I think is a wonderful way of of connecting and can only be helpful, I think. So that brings us to the end of today's show. Thank you very much for listening and a very special thank you to my guest, Vicky Samuels, for her time and sharing her expertise and experience with us. Remember, there are Teachers Talk radio shows all week and the next show will be, I think, with Bisayo Adewale at 8pm British Summertime. Join me again next week at the same time. Bye for now. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.